Today we are going to continue our series that we started a couple weeks ago entitled Give Us This Mountain. And the whole heartbeat behind this message really comes out of Joshua chapter 14 and we're going to read verse 12 today. It's the story of Caleb and Joshua and Caleb and Joshua were two of the 12 spies that went into the promised land. They were the only two that came back to spy out the land that said we believe we can do what God has called us to do. Amen. They said we can take the land. How many of you believe today that we can actually do what God has called us to do? We can take the land, we can reclaim these seven mountains for the glory of God, and we can see our nation turn back to the Lord. And that's an awesome thing. And I believe that we can do what God's called us to do. And so Caleb and Joshua were those two men that actually believed the report of the Lord. And then the Bible tells us that because of the other ten spies, that they really spoiled the hearts of the people to such a degree that the nation of Israel rebelled against the leadership of the Lord. And for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness until everybody in that generation died. And then now it's been 45 years since Caleb walked into the land. 45 years later, now they are taking possession of the land. And, jo and Caleb has now come before Joshua. And Joshua has the role and responsibility as the leader of the nation of Israel to delegate the inheritance to all the people of the nation of Israel. And so Caleb comes before Joshua and this is what he says. He says, now therefore give me this mountain. Give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how that Anakim was there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord says. So Caleb says, God, give me this mountain. He stands before Joshua 45 years later and he says, give me this mountain. And last week I introduced to you or two weeks ago what we call the seven mountains of influence. And if you look at those real quick, the seven mountains of influence is the mountain of religion, the mountain of family, the mountain of education, the mountain of government, the mountain of media, the mountain of arts and entertainment, and the mountain of business. And we recognized or we learned uh, that literally 45 years ago in 1975, two men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit got together and realized that God had given them the same vision. And that whoever could claim these seven mountains could turn a nation back to God. And they recognized something. They recognized that it's not enough to have one mountain. We've got to claim all the mountains. If we want to see our nation turn to the Lord, then we're going to have to ascend the mountains that are before us, and we're going to have to begin to fight for what God has called us to do. Amen? And so we begin to recognize that, and of course, that has now become the focal point of our 21 days of prayer. And you should have received last week, hopefully, and then Wednesday night, our seven mountain prayers, really seven points of prayer where we're just seeking the Lord and declaring the Word of God over each of those mountains. And so we said there are two ways we can take the mountain. The first way is what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks is to create a climate, a spiritual atmosphere that is conducive for the kingdom of God to advance. We said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy according to Romans chapter 14 for the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we said that when we create a climate that all of a sudden we control the crops, what grows there, and we control the culture which is really the attitude and mindset of the people that are engaged on that mount. And so we understood that through prayer, worship, and the word of God, we can change the climate. 
I mean, you know, there's something powerful about God's Word. There's something powerful about me and you declaring and speaking the Word of God. And when we pray the Word, and when we sing the Word, and when we declare the Word, all of a sudden amazing things really do happen. We change the climate. The spiritual atmosphere begins to radically be changed, and all of a sudden it makes a way for righteousness, peace, and joy to begin to ascend the mountain. Because right now, there is on many of these mountains, as a matter of fact, let's just be honest, on every one of these mountains, there is a real resistance to the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Lord. There's a real resistance to righteousness prevailing on each of these mountains. And what's exciting about prayer, worship, and the Word of God is that when we pray, when we intercede, when we stand in the gap, even as we worship and sing and declare the Word of the Lord over our nation, we are literally creating an atmosphere that pushes back the darkness and creates a pathway for righteousness to begin to ascend and the kingdom of God to begin to advance on the mountains that God has called us to. So a couple of scriptures real quick along that line. James chapter 5 verse 16 says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And Matthew 16 verse 19, Jesus speaking to Peter says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Think about what Jesus said. He said whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now let me just give you a little clarity. Jesus is not talking about heaven in the reference to the place where God lives. How many of you know that what you bind on earth is not changing what God's doing in heaven right now? And what you loose on earth is not changing what God is doing. His atmosphere, that heavenly atmosphere around the throne is not changing because of what we're saying and doing. But what Jesus was talking about was the heavenly realm. There is a spirit realm that oversees everything that is happening in our world. The spirit realm governs the flesh. And until you understand that, you're going to constantly be fighting a losing battle. That's why the Bible says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood because you can't win the battle if you just address the flesh because you can stop the person that's doing the evil but until you deal with the spirit that thing will continue to arise and it will keep coming and keep coming and keep coming until somebody attacks the spirit that's driving the actions that's motivating the people and so behind every decision behind every action behind every book behind every movie behind every song behind every governmental deal there is a spirit that is driving those things. And Jesus said, whatever we bind on her earth is bound in that heavenly realm. All of a sudden, we begin to war in the Spirit, and we begin to bring radical change to those things that are resisting the kingdom of God from advancing in people's lives. Amen? So that's the power of prayer. And when you really grab hold of that, all of a sudden, you start getting excited about prayer. People are not excited about prayer because they don't feel like prayer does anything. But when you begin to understand the spiritual repercussions of what prayer does, all of a sudden you begin to get excited about spending time and intercession in the presence of God because you know you're not just talking, you're not just praying, you're not just worshiping, you are declaring and decreeing, you're prophesying and creating an atmosphere and all of a sudden the kingdom of God is going to begin to grow and a culture is going to begin to change. And I don't know about you, what's exciting is every time I press into prayer, yes there's resistance and yes there's challenges, but there's also amazing victories. I mean I can begin to see already. How about you? Anybody seeing some changes happening? Anybody seeing some things happening maybe in your own family, in your own personal life because you're pressing in through prayer, fasting, and the Word of God to declare who He is? Amazing things really does happen when we do that. Amen? All right. So the second way, the second way that we take the mountain is to ascend the mountain. And this happens personally. Personally. 
The higher that someone ascends the mountain, the more influence they have upon that mountain. The higher you ascend, the more influence you have. Let me just say this to you today. Success uh, is, is never the quote goal. We're not pursuing success in the sense of financial gain or personal recognition. But what success does is success creates a platform for influence. Success creates a platform for influence. And God is not interested in you being successful for the sake of your success. God is interested in giving you success so that he can create a platform for the kingdom of God to advance in your life. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We said it specifically in the business world. There are some people that will never listen to what you have to say until you have a measure of success that is beyond them. And the moment you have a level of success above what they're walking in, they want to listen to what you have to say because they want what you got. And what they don't realize is what they want is success, but what they need is a relationship with God that's going to free them from the bondage of sin. Amen? And so all of a sudden, God uses success. So the higher we climb the mountain, the more influence we have because it increases the voice that we have to speak with to touch other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why pulling back and holding back and using a false humility is never glorifying to God. When I hear people say, well, I'm just nobody. I don't know if I can ever do anything. What a horrible, horrible, horrible declaration as a child of God. You are somebody, you are significant, and you are powerful, and your voice and your life matters. You're not a nobody, you're a somebody, amen? And you're created for the glory of God. And when we shrink back or pull back, many times out of a false humility, we end up stifling what God intended us to have because God wanted to raise you, ascend you up the mountain so he could increase the influence that you have in bringing other people to Christ. So look at the rest of that statement. So this is why there's no such thing as sacred and secular work for the Christian. If you're born again, right, everything that you do, everything that you do is sacred, significant, and spiritual. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all the glory of God. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do or whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So you don't have a secular life and you don't have a sacred life. Everything you do is sacred. Everything you do is holy. Everything you do is set apart for the glory of God. Why? Because you don't belong to yourself. You've been bought with a price. You're an ambassador and a representative of Jesus Christ and your life is not your own. Amen? And you are created Created and you were you were created and you were born again into the kingdom of God to declare His glory. And there's nothing secular about your life. It is all sacred. It is all holy, and it is all spiritual because it is all intended to advance the kingdom of God and draw people to know who Jesus is. How many know that the greatest expression of Christianity is that is that true Christianity draws people to Christ. And God wants you to be a representative of the Lord everywhere you go. And if you want to wreck your life and change your life for good, then just begin to live every day like you're representing Jesus. Do everything that you do as unto the Lord and never unto man. And you know what will happen? You will excel. And you will succeed. And you will prosper. Because if you're a man pleaser, you'll come short of the glory of God. But if you're a God pleaser, then you'll walk in the glory of God. Amen? And the glory of the Lord will be upon your life. Something amazing. Let me just say this. One more little food for thought right here. When you live for the glory, 
you can no longer be manipulated and controlled by men. If you live for the reward of men, then you're being manipulated and controlled. Because they can govern how hard you work or how hard you don't work. They can govern what you give yourself to and what you don't give yourself to. But when you work for the glory of God, then everything you do, you do unto Him. And now you're free from the control and manipulation of men. And now you get to walk in the glory of God. It's a great thing. Amen? So let's talk a little bit about this idea of ascending the mountain. The first thing that has to happen, if you look at the next point, is that we have to recognize that we are connected to every mountain. We may not ascend every mountain, but we have influence on every mountain. Think about this. Every mountain. No one is exempt from any mountain. The mountain of religion, family, education, government, art, entertainment, media, and business. Every mountain impacts and influences every area of your life, every day of your life. What's happening in the business world, the financial world, impacts your life. What's happening on the governmental mountain impacts your life. What's happening on the religious mountain impacts your life. What's happening on the education mountain impacts your life. What's happening on the entertainment mountain or the media mountain impacts your life. There is no mountain that you're exempt from. We are connected to every mountain. We're not called to climb every mountain, but we are connected to every mountain, and we have influence on every single mountain. So let's talk about this what that really means to have influence on every mountain. Our daily decisions, hear this, our daily decisions influence every mountain and we are literally advancing the kingdom of God or advancing the kingdom of darkness with every decision that we make. I want to read this to you. The Holy Spirit said this to me this week. He said, Keith, it is insanity. That's the word he said. It is insanity and it is counterproductive for you to pray for the kingdom of God to advance and then live a life that is counterproductive to what you're praying. So we have to pray the will of God, and then we actually have to do the will of God. Because even though you're not called to climb every mountain, you have influence on every mountain. So I want you to think about this. I'm just going to walk us through the seven mountains and just really share this with you today. So let's think about the mountain of religion. See, if you're praying right now for the kingdom of God to advance on the mountain of religion, then you understand something. You understand that any religious idea, thought, or philosophy that denies Jesus Christ as being the Son of God and the only way to heaven and the only way to God is an antichrist spirit. It is a false religion, and it has to bow and bend its knee to Jesus Christ. So if you're praying for the kingdom of God to advance on the mountain of religion, then you're praying for the church, the body of Christ, those who name the name of Jesus, to begin to rise up and excel and walk in the fullness that God has for them. So it is insanity for you to pray for the church to advance and then not be connected. It's insanity for you to pray for the church to advance and then not serve the vision of the local church. See, it's not enough that we come to church, we actually got to be the church. Amen? And it's when we connect and it's when we serve and it's when we give and it's when we grow that we change the mountain of religion. See, the church is not going to grow stronger unless you make the church stronger. So you have a part to play. You have a part to play in the mountain of religion. This may not be the mountain you're called to climb. You may never be in full-time ministry. You may never have a, 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 a position or a title in the church, but you're called to serve the church. You're called to build the church. You're called to financially support the church. You're called to be a part of the local church. Why? Because your life influences every mountain. 
and for us to pray that the kingdom of God would advance on the mountain of religion and not be connected and serving and giving and living our lives in a way that builds the local church is counterproductive. I'm praying for growth, but I'm not doing anything to grow it. I'm praying for advancement, but I'm not doing anything to advance it. So I want you to hear me today. Our prayers require action. The moment you start praying for the kingdom of God to advance on that mount of religion, that prayer now requires you to act in such a way that cultivates growth on that mountain. Let's talk about the mountain of family. If you're praying for the kingdom of God to grow into family and on that family mountain, you're praying for righteousness, peace, and joy to prevail on that mountain called family. And if you've been looking or praying over these seven prayers, the three scriptures the Lord gave me is Ephesians 5.33, that husbands will love their wives as Christ of the church, and wives will respect their husbands as unto the Lord. And if you're praying that prayer, and then you're not cultivating your marriage, you're praying that prayer but you're not investing in your family. You're praying that prayer, but you're neglecting the needs of the people that God has called you to lead first. Then it's counterproductive. I'm praying for righteousness, but I'm not doing anything to make it righteous. I'm praying for God to strengthen my marriage, but I'm not doing anything to strengthen my marriage. I'm praying for God to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children of the fathers, but I'm not doing anything to cultivate my relationship with my kids. I'm praying that God would bless my children and my children's children, that he'd shine his light upon them and his face upon them, but I'm not doing anything to facilitate the blessing of God over my family. And so we've got to understand, when we begin to pray, our prayers now require action. Because it's counterproductive for me to pray for the family to be increased with godliness and righteousness, and then to do nothing on my personal part to facilitate growth in my own family. So now this thing requires something of me. Maybe that's why we don't pray. Because prayer all of a sudden begins to require me to act because... I'm not called to climb every mountain, but I do have influence on every mountain. Think about the mountain of education. If we're praying for righteousness, peace, and joy, the kingdom of God to advance on the mountain of education, then, then we cannot disengage from our children's education. And we can't stand on the sidelines and do nothing to support our school systems or our educational systems. See, so many times as parents, we make excuses, right? We're praying for the kingdom of God to advance in the area of education, but we make excuses. Well, you know, they're doing all that new stuff at school, and I don't even know how to do it. I can't even help my kids. Well, figure it out. If your fifth grader can learn it, you can too. Just figure it out. Be engaged. Figure it out. Don't make an excuse. Way too many families making an excuse, and we want our, our kids to have a great education. We want them to be successful. We want to have a godly education system, but it starts, number one, with me engaging in the education of my own children, and then me engaging in what's happening in our local school systems. Kelly and I homeschooled all of our kids, but let me tell you what we did do. When there was an issue that arose in our local school system that was confronting the righteousness of God, we stood up, we engaged, we got involved, we made phone calls, we went and saw people. And we didn't even have kids in school. At least not our kids, but your kids are. Our community is. Why? Because we're praying for the mountain of religion, over the mountain of education, so I've got to be engaged in that mountain. 
Again, I may never be a principal, a teacher, a superintendent, or not even a janitor at the local school, but I have influence at the education level through the actions and decisions that I take. Amen? Y'all still with me? Let's talk about government for just a second. Statistically speaking, I'm not sure if this is true now. It was true about four years ago. About 25% of all Christians vote. About 25%. That's tragic. So how can we pray for the, gov- for the mountain of government to advance in righteousness, peace, and joy? And then when we have an opportunity to vote for the people that are going to be on that mountain, we don't exercise our vote. See, I've got to pray, but I've got to vote. And I made this statement a couple weeks ago. President Trump is not calling me asking for my advice. I don't know if he's calling you, but probably not. So he's not asking me for my advice. So how in the world can I influence what's happening on the highest point of the governmental mountain in America? I can vote. And I think everybody in this room recognizes, and everybody watching online, I hope you recognize this, this next election, 2020, this year, is going to be the most pivotal election, I believe, in our entire lifetime. It's going to dictate very much what is going to happen in our nation. And if we don't claim the governmental mountain, we are going to be in trouble. There will be repercussions that will have to be faced. And so I want to just say, we have to pray, and then we have to vote. And guess what? We don't vote personalities, and we don't vote parties. We vote biblical values. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can never vote for somebody that supports abortion. I can never vote for somebody that supports homosexual marriage. I can never support that. I have to stand for life, and I have to stand for the sanctity of marriage because I stand with Christ. Amen? So if I'm going to pray for the mountain of government, I've got to also make sure my actions and decisions are supporting righteousness on that mountain. Amen? Art and entertainment. Think about this for just a second. It is insanity, and it is counterproductive to purchase, download, and watch. Movies, music, books that promote immorality, perversion, ungodliness, and unholiness. If we're praying for righteousness to prevail in the entertainment industry, and then we're Netflix binging on shows that are totally the opposite of what we're praying for, that's crazy. The Holy Spirit says, he said, Keith, he said, every, every view is a vote for more. Think about that. When you Netflix binge that show that promotes immorality and perversion and, and corruption in every form and fashion, all of a sudden what you're doing is you're voting, you're telling those people in Hollywood, I want more of this. I just watched 24 episodes in three days. I want you to make more shows just like this. I want more perversion. I want more sexual immorality. I want more pornography. I want more profanity. I want more of this. Think about how crazy. Praying for righteousness, watching immorality. Praying for holiness, watching perversion. Praying for purity and watching impurity. I'm just going to tell you, the Holy Spirit convicted me this week as I was praying through these things. And we don't really watch what I would consider bad stuff. 
But the Holy Spirit said, check. He said, Keith, I want you to check everything that you're watching. And then I, I really began to pray about me and Kelly had this conversation. I'm just going to tell you what we, we discussed. This is Keith Hodge, just not thus saith the Lord, okay? I'm just going to tell you my heart a little bit. So this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Keith, he said, it's okay for you to watch shows that depict the realities of life because life happens. He said, but it's not okay for you to watch shows, and this is, this is Keith, it's not okay for you to watch shows that celebrate the immoralities that contradict Scripture. So there are some shows that depict the realities of life. He said, that's okay. He said, but the moment that show starts celebrating it, the moment that show starts celebrating the fact that lesbianism and homosexuality is normal and right, and anybody that's against it is wrong and bigoted, you need to turn it off. So we, it's insane to pray and then watch exactly the opposite of what we're praying, or listen to, or read books, anything that falls in that entertainment industry. Media. Right along the same lines, think about media. It's insanity. It's insanity for us to watch, if you think about news media or social media, to watch, like, post, and share things that are ungodly and perverted. Sometimes I am blown away by what Christians share on social media. I'm like, did you not read the first three words? It was GD and the F-bomb, and you're sharing that, telling me I ought to watch it? Did you not read that? You mean you're praying for righteousness and you're sharing this? You're praying for godliness and you're sharing this? You're praying for, for, for the kingdom of God to advance and you're sharing this garbage? Half-naked women? Liking it? Come on. Crazy. Insane. And then we wonder why we're not winning the mountains. Because I can't come to church and pray for it and then go home and live exactly the opposite of what I'm praying. All right, y'all still with me? All right, so let's, let's move on just a minute. That's, well, let's talk about last mountain. I'm sorry, I don't want to miss this one. The business mountain. This, this is an interesting mountain. It's insanity for, for us to pray for righteousness on the mountain of business and then to support, and, and this gets really cloudy quickly, okay? Because I understand, man, if, if, you were to, if you were to stop supporting all the ideas of people, well, they did this, and they did that, and they're not this, and they're not this, there, there's a lot of confusion out there around what businesses are really supporting what. And you'd probably have to live in the woods and eat tree bark the rest of your life not to support any of those crazy businesses. But this is what I'm going to challenge you with. There are some businesses and some companies that are unashamedly vocal against Christ, against morality, against Christianity, and they are unashamedly, boldly declaring that they stand against everything that we stand for. It's insane for me to pray for righteousness on the mountain of business and then continue to support those businesses that are very clearly, again, I understand there's a lot of cloudy water, but there are some businesses that are very clearly and very vocally declaring opposition to Christ. And for me to pray that mountain of sin with righteousness and financially support those businesses is counterproductive and craziness. Amen? All right. 
There's a whole lot to say about all those seven mountains, but y'all are smart people. The Holy Ghost will tell you when you get home. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's talk a little bit further. I got two whole minutes and I got 50 minutes left of preaching. So here we go. All right. How do we ascend our mountain? Let's talk about our mountain for a minute. So, so you're not called to climb every mountain, but you are called to climb some mountains, and you have influence on every mountain. So how do we ascend our mountain? First, we identify our mountain or mountains, and some of you are called to multiple mountains. Not every mountain, but some of you may have a couple prominent calls in multiple mountains. But how do we identify our mountains? I believe we identify our mountain through the gifts, calling, and passion that God has given us. And, and these next four points that I'm going to give you, I'm going to give them to you kind of quick, and they're going to be your homework, okay? So I want you to go home this week, and I know if you're like uh, my beautiful wife, Kelly, she used to love homework. I hope you're that way. I didn't like it, but she did, so I'm hoping you all have Kelly's little spirit right now, and you love homework. You're going to go home, and you're going to take a little time. You're going to prayerfully consider what we're about to talk about, and you're going to ask the Lord to give you clarity on how to identify and climb the mountain that he's called you to, okay? So your gifts, your calling, your passion, I believe are indicators to the mountain of God on your life. Second Timothy 1.9, speaking of God, it says, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Listen to that last phrase, before the world began. So God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and his grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And Romans 11.29 says, for the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. King James says they're without repentance. God doesn't change his mind. So let me give you some good news here today. God created you with a purpose before the world began. You are not an afterthought. God purposely created you. And God created you with a purpose before the world began. And he gave you gifts and a calling. And he hasn't changed his mind. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. They're irrevocable. God has not changed his mind about what he's called you to. Maybe you've took a detour. Maybe you've aborted it and abandoned it for 25, 35, 45, 55 years. All I know is this. God's purpose and plan hadn't changed. It was before you were born. It'll be after you're born. God still has a plan for you. Amen? His purpose for your life is key. And he hasn't changed his mind. You've not messed up too bad that you can't get back on track. Amen? So, let's talk about your gifts, your calling, and your passion. Your gifts, really simply, what are you good at? Think about that. Just what are you good at? What are you good at, and what do people say you are gifted at? What are you good at, and what do people say you're gifted at? So, you have people all the time that are complimenting you on stuff. Man, you're really organized. Man, you're so good with people. You have such a compassionate heart. Boy, you're good with numbers. Boy, you really can handle money. Seems like whatever you touch turns to gold. Boy, you can fix anything. Boy, you can build anything. Boy, it just seems like, man, you keep the cleanest house and everything you do is just always spotless and in order and you've got this administrative stuff. And think about that. Think about what are you really good at and what do people kind of identify that you're gifted at because that's an indicator, right? Because you have natural gifts and you have spiritual gifts and there are indicators because God wants you to be good at something. Come on, somebody. And here's what we know to be true. The better I'm at something, the more I want to do something. You ever played a game that you're bad at? You play it about once and you're done. I'm done. We don't want to play that game no more. That's no fun. I lose. I'm just going to tell you, I don't like to lose. So if I can't win, I don't want to play. Right? I want to play the games I can win. And so we are, God has given us gifts, natural and spiritual gifts, that you're good at stuff. You're naturally and then you're spiritually good at it. Doesn't mean you don't have to perfect it. Doesn't mean you don't have to grow it. Doesn't mean you don't have to cultivate it. You have to do all those things. But you are naturally and spiritually good at things and gifted in specific areas. And you can touch some things and it'll just come alive. 
Now let's talk about your calling. What do you feel compelled to do and who do you feel drawn to? See, I believe your calling is twofold. I believe you're called to do something and I believe you're called to specific people. What do you feel compelled to do? Do you feel compelled to organize? Do you feel compelled to lead? Do you feel compelled to take charge? Do you feel compelled just to serve or just to help? What do you feel compelled to do? Some of you have a, a overwhelming, uh, this, this desire that just drives you. It's a calling. It's more than a passion. It's a calling. And you feel compelled by the Lord just to put your hand to some things. And then you, you also have specific people that you feel drawn toward. And you're just drawn toward them. And here's the great thing about this. There's nothing wrong if you say, boy, I could never work with those kids at church on Sunday morning. That's not a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing. Because if you could never work with those kids, we don't want you working with them. Come on, somebody. We love our kids too much to put you in there with them. We love them. That's not a bad thing. I could never work with those kids. Now, if you stop there, you're in trouble. If you say, I could never work with those kids, and so I'm not going to do anything, you're in trouble. But if you say, I could never work with those kids, but you know what? Man, I really have a heart for, for homeless people. I really have a heart for addicted people. Man, I really love those young people. Man, I've got a heart for men. i got a passion to see women really serve God. Man, I, all of a sudden, see, see, you have something you're called to do, and you have a group of people that you're usually called to minister to. And so when you think about that, so you are attracted to certain groups of people. And here's the flip side of that coin. Certain groups of people are attracted to you. Right? They just seem to gather around you. They just seem to connect to you. And you're hanging out. And all of a sudden, you know, you're just talking with this certain group of people. Sometimes they say, well, they just got their clicks going. No, that's a calling. Yeah, stuff can get clickish, but most of the time it's just a calling. There is an anointing on your life to do things, and there's an anointing on your life to reach people. I know a good friend of mine, he is the most anointed man I've ever seen to disciple businessmen. You give him poor guys, you give him addicted guys, and he stinks. He can't do anything with them. He stays frustrated with them all the time. But you give him successful businessmen, and he will challenge those men, and he will disciple those men, and those men will come out after an eight-week eight week class with him. They'll come out on the other side more spiritually sharp and more spiritually attuned than they've ever been before. Does that mean there's something wrong with him because he can't minister to poor people? No. Does it mean there's something wrong with him because he can't minister to addicted people? No. It just means he has a unique gift and a calling. And you do too. Right? What makes you mad? What makes you sad? What makes you glad? Let me tell you what makes me mad. You know what makes me mad? Seeing Christians live defeated lives. You know what makes me sad? Seeing Christians live defeated lives. You know what makes me glad? Seeing people walk in the gifts and callings of God. My heart and my calling is to equip and empower the church, people, believers, to live up to their full potential in Christ. That gets us out of bed. Kelly and I get passionate about seeing people rise up, and it makes me so mad, and it makes me grieve in my heart when I see people with unlimited potential living so below the call of God on their life. We want to help you. That's our heartbeat. Calling. You've got a calling. People and things you're called to do. Passion. Think about this. What gets you up early and what keeps you up late. It'll be once or twice every week just about. I'll wake up at 2.30, 4.30 30 in the morning and I'll get out of bed early in the morning because I'll wake up thinking about church, thinking about ministry, thinking about people, thinking about what we could do to help somebody, thinking how we could do what we're doing better, thinking how we can make a change and make an adjustment. And I just get out of bed early at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning once or twice every week. Why? 
Because, boy, when I get it on my mind, I can't get it off. It just, it just compels me. I'm passionate about seeing the church become the church. I'm passionate about seeing believers rise up and be who God's called them to be. What gets you up early? What keeps you up late? What makes you burn the midnight oil? What is it that causes you to go the extra mile? Think about this. What is it that causes you to go the extra mile? I've talked about Brother Jim before. Brother Jim is our financial elder. And if there is one cent, one, cent, one penny unbalanced, he can't go to sleep. I'm like, Brother Jim, I'm going home. He said, I can't. One penny. I'm like, here's a penny. He said, oh, no, Pastor Keith, I can't do that. i got to find that penny. I'm like, praise God, I'm going to bed. He's like, I'll be here till I find it. And he will. Why? Because he's got a passion. It makes him go the extra mile. It pushes him to do things that I wouldn't do. But he'll do it. And you know what? He'll do it with a smile on his face because he's got to find what he's called to do. So think about that. Let me give you one more point right here, and we're going to wrap up Stephen's way early. i got a lot more to say. Y'all help me out. You're good, Stephen. You look pretty up here anyway, so we're glad you're up here. When you find your place, when you find the place where these three things line up, when your gift, calling, and passion lines up, you've probably found your mountain. When your gift, your calling, and your passion line up, you've probably found your mountain. I want, I want to just read this to you because the Holy Spirit gave this to me. I don't want to mess it up. He said, Keith, there's a place for every purpose. And your place is as important as your gifts, calling, and passion. Because the right gifts in the wrong place creates frustration. You ever seen that happen? You've seen people with amazing gifts and they're in the wrong place. And they get frustrated. They stay frustrated all the time. Let me tell you, frustration is not the will of God for your life. I'm not saying there won't be frustrating moments. There will be. But you should not live in a constant place of frustration. If you're living in a constant place of frustration, you're probably climbing the wrong mountain. Okay? The right, the right gifts in the wrong place create frustration. The right gifts in the right place will cause you to ascend the mountain. And this is what he said. This is what I really want you to hear. Changing your place usually doesn't mean changing your address. Changing your place usually doesn't mean changing your address. It doesn't mean you've got to move to another city. Maybe it does. If God tells you to move, then you follow God. But most of the time, it's not about changing your address. It's not about changing your job. It's not even about changing your church. You know what it's about? It's about changing your focus. Changing your focus. Because you can be right where you're at, and you can climb the mountain that God has for you. Because I believe you're strategically placed in the place God wants you to be right now. And all that really has to change is not my address, but my focus. Where I begin to ascend the mountain that God has for me. So let me give you two last thoughts. Here it is. Satan tries to deceive us into despising our gifts, confusing our calling, and perverting our passion. Number 16, you can go home and read. It's a story about Korah who rebels against Moses. And it's an amazing conversation. But this is what I want you to hear. One of the greatest schemes of the enemy is that I listen to Christians I talk. I try. I do a lot of talking up here, but I really try to listen. And when I listen to Christians talk, I hear a lot of people say, well, if I just had their gift, if I could just do what they did, if I could just be like they, them. And you know what I see so many times in the church? I see people who are amazingly gifted, called, and anointed by God. But it's not what they wanted. And they wanted what you got. And instead of embracing who God called them to be, they despise their gift. And they spend their whole lives wishing they were somebody else. 
And the moment you despise your gift, guess what will happen? Satan will confuse your calling. The moment you despise your gift, he'll confuse your calling, and then he will pervert your passion. Let me tell you a lie that we tell our kids. Everybody listen to me. Here's a lie we tell our kids. You ever heard? This is a Hollywood American lie. When you grow up, you can do anything you want to do. How many know that's not true? You, you can't do anything you want to do. If that was true, I would be an NBA superstar right now. I'm just telling you, when I was growing up, that's what I wanted to be, CB. Went to bed every night with a basketball in my hand, shooting the ball before I went to sleep. I had amazing passion. I just didn't have the gifts. <laughs> Here's the truth, though. Here's the truth. The truth is better than the lie. The lie is you can do anything you want to do. Here's the truth. The truth is better than that. The truth is you can't do anything you want to do, but you can do everything God has called you to do. You can't do anything, but you can do everything that God has called you to do. That's why you've got to find that calling. That's why you've got to discover your gifts. That's why you've got to embrace who God made you to be. Stop despising your gift. Stop wishing you were somebody else. Stop wishing you were better at other things that you're not good at. Just get over it. Just get over it and say, God, thank you for making me. Because I'm just going to tell you, it, it is a deception of the enemy to somehow think that your gift's better than my gift. And that your purpose is more important than mine. Absolutely not. We are all significant to the work of God. And every person in every place matters. So stop despising your gift. And the moment you stop despising, all of a sudden clarity will come to your calling and purpose will come to your passion and you'll begin to find yourself climbing and ascending your mountain. Last point, here it is. Way too many Christians, way too many Christians are wandering around the mountain and wondering in their minds what it is that God's really called me to do. Way too many Christians are wondering and wondering. And the Holy Spirit just said very clearly, He said, Keith, tell them to stop it. <laughs> stop wandering around the mountain. Stop wondering what it is that God's called you to do and why you're not gifted like everybody else is gifted and just start climbing the mountain that's right in front of you. Just start climbing the mountain that's right in front of you. Wherever you are is where you need to start. Because here's the truth, wherever you are is the only place you can start. Wherever you are is where you need to start. Now, let me give you some final good news here. Kelly and I, Liberty Church, we exist to help you find your place. To help you find your purpose. And we have created a very simple process. We call it the connection track and we call it our growth track. Very simple process that's designed to do a couple things. Number one, we want to help you discover your purpose, discover your gifts, discover the unique shape of your life so you can do what God has called you to do. Number two, we want to create an avenue and a venue for you to begin to serve God right here, right now with what God has given you. And then number three, the last thing here it is through our growth track. This is, this is what's unique about Liberty Church's discipleship. The heartbeat of our discipleship process is not to raise you up to stay here. It's to raise you up to do what God's called you to do. We're not trying to keep people. We're trying to care for people. And we're trying to equip people and empower people to do what God's called them to do. A lot of people have come to Liberty and a lot of people have left Liberty. I'm just going to be honest with you. I rejoice the same. When they come, I rejoice. And when they leave, I rejoice. If they leave to pursue God, I'm rejoicing. I'm just going to tell you. I've rejoiced over a lot of people that have left and I've rejoiced over a lot of people that have come. 
Why? Because our job is not to keep people. Our job is to care for people. And as we care for them, to equip them and empower them to climb their mountain. We really want to help you do that. But you got to do your part. You got to get connected. You got to get involved. You got to start climbing and start serving right where you are with what you've got because that's the only way it works. Amen. Let's just do this. Let's just bow our heads. One final thing I want to do today, and we try to do it every Sunday, and that's simply this. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Pastor Keith, I, I don't even know God. I've never been saved, and I'm not a Christian. But I want to know Him today. I want to discover the purpose for which I was created. You were created for a purpose, and it wasn't just to waste your life pursuing selfish means and selfish goals. You were created for something much bigger than that. And only when you commit your life to Christ will you really discover why you exist. And it's a beautiful thing. So if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I realize I'm a sinner and I believe he's the Savior. And I want to follow him for the rest of my life. If that's you, I want you just to stand to your feet right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just stand to your feet. Today I want to accept Jesus. Today I want to be born again. That's what the Bible calls it. If that's you right now, this is your moment. We're about to close in prayer, but we want to give you just a few more seconds to make that decision. So, Father, I thank you today for the gifts and callings that's on every purpose person in this room here today. I thank you that they're divinely shaped for your glory. And I thank you, Lord, that as we discover who we are in you, we can ascend the mountain and we can change our world. God, give us these mountains. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.